Yo, what's up, everybody? It's time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, and I'm joined as always by my co host, my partners in crime, my brothers from Mother Mothers, Jim Cross, Randy Jowers, and guys, tonight's episode 23 titles Team Rucker, because we got on senior writer at Go Vols 247, Mr. Wes Rucker. And guys, I want to get right to it. He's got a lot of stories to share. He's a lot of UT baseball stuff to talk about. UT football, you name it, all things UT. We got to get into it. So help me welcome on to the show with the biggest interview on podcasting this week. UT Ball senior beat writer at Go Vols 247, Mr. Wes Rucker. Wes, before we get into all things Wes Rucker in Tennessee, you've been on the beat for a long time at Tennessee. I think officially on the beat since 2005, but obviously you went to school there, so you covered them then. Mm-hmm. Majoring in journalism and all that over 20 years. I don't want to age you too much, man. It's a long time on the beat. Yeah, you're what telling is- everybody you're you're old. Hey, like, what, what was it yeah. like when they played with leather helmets? What was it like back when they didn't wear helmets? But you've covered some some doozies over the time. I've been a, a Twitter follower for a long time, read a lot, all your stuff for as long as I, since I've been out of high school, I'm pretty old too. Tell me one thing. What's the one thing that stands out over your career covering them that stands out the most? Oh God, it's like one, it's been sort of one dumpster fire after the other at times. <laughs> it's, it hurts, but it's true. No, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it, it's kind of like you always say like, Hey, what, but, but this can't get crazier than this. I mean, the day lane left was pretty nuts. Uh, the Pearl stuff that was pretty nuts. Um, <laughs> the day that, when Fulmer was let go and a bunch of players came angry to the press conference, that was another one. The night that uh, like 30 guys on the football team were like a fight at Bar Knoxville at 3 a.m. <laughs> and I had actually already taken an Ambien that night. Uh, and uh, now that now that the statute of limitations has passed. Um, yeah, so I, I got a call from someone and somebody saying that night. It was like it was like a text at like two forty five or something. Like you need to go to Bar Knoxville, and I was like, you could not pay me to go to Bar Knoxville. And they were like, no, idiot. There's like thirty members of the football team here and like thirty cop cars. You need to get to Bar Knoxville. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, so I'm sitting there like throwing cold water in my face. Like, do I have any caffeine left in the fridge? Let's go, let's go, let's go. And so I went and covered that debacle at about. So you drove on an Ambien to cover this story. Yeah, had to. Uh, That's dedication. I said, now the statute of limitations has passed, so I can admit that. uh, that, that, Yeah, there's been, man, there's been so many things over the years. It it honestly just runs together because it's like, you know, there's like three places in the country. Tennessee is one, Auburn's the other, and Louisville, where like the most insane things happen constantly at those, those three places. And it's like they're always in a like a war, like we're crazier than you. No, we're crazier than you. And it's just it's been it's been something, man. It's ne- it's never been boring. I'm, if you were to ask me to name a top five or top ten most insane things that have happened since I've covered Tennessee, I could I, I could name 50 and forget 10 easily. It, it, it's just been it's been crazy. I mean, trying to get the guy to at the at the place to take. I was like, put my new tires on or take my old tires off. But Lane Kiffin's about to leave her Southern Cal and I need my car back. Um, you know, just there's been so many things over the years. 
So Wes, you know, obviously this is, you know, a, a big time job. You, you've got a lot of history with University of Tennessee to pull from a lot of, you know, stories that you've gotten and a lot that you probably forget. But as, as you talk to people, some of those highlights, I'm sure pop up and come back. But before all of that, you know, talk us through the beginning part. Like, where are you from? Where did you grow up? And what was it like growing up where you were? Well, it's interesting because um, the uh, I guess everyone's story is interesting or I wouldn't be a journalist. Right. Um, but uh, I grew up, um, I guess, like the first couple years of my life, I lived like at our family farm or one of them out there in Maynardville, Tennessee, which you've ever seen in Glorious Bastards, um, Lieutenant Aldo Rain. Brad Pitt's character is from, you know, out of the Apaches from Maynardville, Tennessee. Uh, so the most famous person from my quote, hometown is a fictional character. Um, and the reason why I would have to be a fictional character is because there's like 1100 people there. Uh, so yeah, that, but, but it's interesting because I am kind of from that. And my dad's known to most of the world as rawhide. And yet my parents sent me to private schools. So I've got like a really interesting backstory of like, um, a kid who like went to nice schools, but whose father is known to most of the world as rawhide. So, so it's, it's a really, you know, my, my mom was like the captain of the cheerleading team. My dad was like, you know, Black Sabbath, uh, you know, Ozzy biting heads off of bats, hair down to his butt crack, you know, so it, nothing about my family makes sense. So that's sort of the, the, the start of it. Uh, and then I went to Knoxville Catholic High School. Um, which, you know, is uh, sort of an athletic power now, I guess, in the state of Tennessee, wins a lot of state titles in different sports, sends a lot of people to to play um, uh, like good D1 schools. I was not one of those people. Uh, I played baseball there, um, but it was either basically go the JUCO route or go to small colleges. I think two D1 schools talked to me about like walking on. So I would have been like an APR booster back in the day, basically. Um, but I decided, you know, I'm, I'm not that great, really. And I don't want to get up at six o'clock in the morning for workouts and for, you know, I mean, I'm a decent player, but where's this really going? So I want to cover sports. So so I'll go to the University of Tennessee and I will um, become a, a sports writer or sports broadcaster. Didn't know which one I wanted uh, to do. Um, of course, you say that now and you have to do them all. You know, so back, in the day, back in the day, you would sort of specialize. But, but now what, was uh, was high school. Did you have something like were you good at writer or you um, could speak it or like what was there? Was there something where you were like, you know, like I'm going to pursue playing. But in the event that I can't play, I do have this writing ability or this journalistic ability. Like I could see myself doing this. Instead. I was, yeah, I was always better at, you know, I'm left handed, sort of ambidextrous, but dominated left hand. Um, except for throwing a baseball, right? Hit from either side of the play, but throw right-handed, kick left-footed. One of those uh, was Mike Tyson would say amphibious types. And um, but I guess I, I use my right brain more, so I've always been more uh, of an artistic type of person than someone who's good at math or science, uh, which is interesting because my wife is very good at math and science. I suck sort of at those. But the other parts, because the test taking was always really fine there, and so I I always could you know, write, mess around, things like that. Um, pretty much most of the arts, aside from actually drawing pictures, which I suck at, I probably look like a five-year-old doing, you know, stick figures, but I, I could write and um, I could read, like I love to read. And 
if you read as much as I've read throughout life and you can't write a little bit, you have wasted a gargantuan amount of time because I just love, <laughs> I, I love books. I, I mean, I, I, I mostly nonfiction books, but I'll read just about anything. And so I, I've just sort of always, you know, like I would, I would get in trouble as a kid. I would read through all like my war books and do them all early in the year and then get in trouble because I wasn't paying attention because I'd already done what the teacher was talking about. What are you so, reading right now, Wes? What I'm reading right now is um, a book on two books that I've been reading uh, sort of doing, but at the same time, one's a biography of uh, general William Tecumseh Sherman. And uh, the other is a book on uh, evolution, human evolution. I thought maybe um, he's going to say dog pile by Steve Robertson, you know, guest of the show. <laughs> hey, I, you know, all Steve, it, it, I haven't seen him in a couple months. Um, and actually, he'd probably get mad if I said I haven't read his book, but I have, I plan to, I have not read it yet, but because uh, it's a really interesting topic and Steve's one of the more interesting dudes in our entire business. And I don't just say that because he's, a, you know, a CBS 24-7 guy, I, I just, he's an interesting guy, right? And, and so uh, there's just not a lot of guys like him. In I think we could have done a 24-hour episode with him. He has so much to share. Oh my God, yeah. yes, he is. And, and he'll, and he's great too. When you sit down with a press box or, you know, in any sport, I, pretty much anybody in the league who's been there for a while now we're kind of a club of old people we know each other and um yeah he, he's always got some good stories man he's a really 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 good source and actually anytime stuff comes up at the ncaa uh, like if a school gets in trouble a lot of times his sources with them are so good that he might give you a heads up that hey the ncaa is looking at something here so yeah he's he's a really really interesting dude but yeah long story short um i read books a lot and so i guess you just osmosis you take some of it in so i've always been able to do that stuff so i mean obviously you mentioned you, you decided you know all right what am i going to do with sports you decided to opt out of trying to pursue them you know you know further than high school at at what point is there someone that's guiding you mentoring you to help make that decision or was it just something that you said you know I, this is what i need to do it was rawhide yeah rawhide <laughs> yeah my, my dad the uh the, the lover of literature yeah um you know who who still says uh god bless him he still says yalla and wash instead of yellow and wash god bless him we we are some hillbillies we really are it's amazing if my babysitter when i was a kid hadn't or the nanny hadn't been like from wisconsin i would probably you know i, I would probably talk like the rest of my family like this um, cause that's how I think. I just don't talk like that basically, but, um, yeah, no, it, it's, I knew I, I loved being, I like to do a bunch of things. Like I didn't know whether I was going to be like kind of a lifestyle humor writer or like a sports writer. And it just so happened that some of the better opportunities I got early on, cause I wrote like the humor paper for the day of the beacon at UT, um, for, for a couple of years, you know, it was like me and it was like the day that Dave Barry's column ran so it was like my face next to his i was like which one of these is not like the other um but you know so so more opportunities came around in sports because at the time with newspapers you know most newspaper staffs had you know anywhere from you know eight to twelve people at a lot of the bigger places and usually just a couple of people who were writing like you know editorials and humor columns so i went that direction because there were more opportunities to be honest and and so um but i i i really liked uh, the group of, of guys, there were a bunch of us there at UT at the same time, because uh, at UT, you can actually get like a sports writing degree, you can like sort of um, major in journalism with like an emphasis in like sports communication. So basically sports writing. And there were a bunch of us 
who were kind of like a little mafia of guys who have gone on in the business and there's a bunch of them at ESPN now uh, and, and who do a bunch of other things. And so we were kind of always pushing each other. Um, and we were, you know, we were just a, it was a good group of dudes, a really good group of dudes and really good writers. And a lot of them would, would be, um, have had better careers than mine so far, but I, I just got lucky to be honest. So it, there were a bunch of us there and there are some, some older guys too, like the, uh, the Woody Pages, Steve Wojciechowski's, those types who are also UT graduates and, you know, kind of not like the Mizzou journalism people who have like their little black book and always look out for the Mizzou mafia. Um, but there are a bunch of UT people in the business um, and, and who are in our age range who have always kind of helped each other. And it, it, it was a good group of guys. And I just got on that path and stuck with it. So you mentioned the, the Mizzou mafia. Was there any other school that you were planning on attending or just because of location and where you're at, it was just UT's where I'm going to go set and stuff. No, no um, there, when I decided I wasn't going to play ball, there were three schools that I was really looking at. One was UT another was, was Auburn and another was the college of Charleston. And I really thought I might go to the college of Charleston, but uh, one of my good buddies, I, I played baseball in, in high school. He played football. We were good friends. We actually ended up being roommates together our freshman year at UT. We, there was like a trip to Charleston and we were like, that was a whole lot of fun and we will probably fail out in a year. So let's not go there. Um, let's not go to college on the beach because that's just not going to end well. You know, we're, we're Catholic school boys, which means we know how to party, which means that if we can get in trouble, we will. And so, um, yeah, it just made more sense at the time to go, to go, to go to UT. And, and so, which is interesting because, um, you know, I never really planned to go to UT. It just kind of happened. And then when I graduated, I moved to Chattanooga, never thought I would ever come back. You know, I actually thought I was going to move to Atlanta and get a job covering like, you know, UGA and the Falcons in Georgia Tech, like kind of an Atlanta bureau for the Chattanooga paper. And then uh, my one of my best friends in, in the world, Gentry Estes, who now uh, is with a Tennessean, uh, he left his job to go cover Alabama. And so the Times Street Press was like, hey, wait, can you just go back to Knoxville? So it happened like really quickly. And so when I left, I never thought I would come back, but the, the job brought me back. So, you know, you, you mentioned UT and the love and, and now you're coming back. So obviously I got to congratulate you. You're, you're a new dad. We're all, we're yes. all dads on, on, on the show. Yes. yes. Does, you know, is there any other option for school for your kid or is it, it's UT or, or figure it out or I don't, I don't know you anymore. Oh no. If he wants to go anything he wants to do. I mean, honestly, it, it's, it's amazing because I went to UT, but you know, when you go into sports writing, like I, I don't know that I own anything that's the color orange because you're just taught if I'm you want to be, if you wanna be yeah. a professional at this, like my wife works at UT. She's, you know, a, a director over in the, you know, like admissions communications department. And so like three quarters of what she wears is orange. And I, I just never, not a hater, not, not a, not a lover or a hater. I'm just kind of there. That's not what I read on Twitter, Wes. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm both of them. Right. Um, yeah. but you know, it just depends on the day. I read about his yeah. sleepless nights a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, you are a lot of those recently. Yeah. Now. So, it, is, it, but so, so if he wants to do whatever he wants to do, 
I mean, honestly, if he's like a really, if he, if it's eight, you know, 17 years from now and he's a great baseball player and they're like, Hey, you can have a Vanderbilt education. I'd be like, that's a pretty good idea. You should probably go do that. Maybe. I mean, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell him not to go do that. Or like Stanford comes calling like, or Notre Dame. What are you going to be like? No, don't do that. Of course you'd be like, (laughs) as a parent, you would be like, go do that. It's like Harrison Smith went to go play football at Notre Dame and not Tennessee because they were like, Hey, if you blow your knee out, you had another Dame degree. And so he's like, that's a pretty good idea. So, you know, I mean, you can get a great education anywhere. My kids aren't allowed to go to Florida to be clear with us. There you go. I mean, and honestly, like if, if, if Hank wanted to go to like, um, if he's like, I want to go to Alabama, then like my wife probably would want to have a word with him. Um, you know, cause she, she went to Tennessee and Georgetown. So, uh, you know, basically like, you know, don't go to Bama, don't go to Maryland or, or, you know, whatever it is. And, um, so I probably have some, my, my brother and some other people will probably not like it, but if he wanted to go there, I'd be like, Hey, whatever floats your boat, man, especially if they're going to pay for it. That sounds great. So I, I want to ask, so me, me and Randy, we, we co-host together, same ish, different dad podcasts. It's, mm-hmm. it's about dads and we just get, you know, stories of dads, funny, you know, it's more motivational and support for other dads that are going through the same thing. But I got to ask, what's the one thing that as a, as a new dad, that is much harder than you thought it was going to be? Uh, you know, it's funny. I was, I was, I'm a big Tom Segura fan. I really like stand up comedians in general. And, but he has a, he has a, that saying that like, before you have, you know, children, you have time. And after that, after children are born, you have moments. And, and so you go from like, you know, a couple of days, you could be like, I'm just not going to do much. It's all right. To now, like, you're kind of on call all the time. Like there, there's no, there's no, uh, I'm just dead to the world today. There's none of that because that thing needs to eat, right? That thing <laughs> needs to, it's diaper change. Eventually he'll need rides to go to practice or whatever it is he wants to do. And so you just kind of like, you know, right now, since we're on this podcast, I'm a professional, I've got just a Dr. Pepper here. And, um, but you know, like I have this sip right here and that's a nice moment that I just had, you know, <laughs> and, and it's those little things like, you know, it's like, I love to like, uh, I'm, I'm serious. Like I love to, um, like plant stuff and grow stuff, uh, cause there's farms on both sides of my family. And so I got like three greenhouses just out back there down one level and back there in the yard. And, um, you know, and, and so this year I've had to actually buy a couple of tomato plants as opposed to doing what I do every other year, which is plant them uh, because I got the seeds and just didn't have time to do it because, um, you know, I, I've mentioned it before, but Hank's had, he's got a, um, you know, a kidney issue. And, and so he's had to have a surgery, he'll have, have another one. And so uh, he, he's, you know, th- he's got that stoma thing in that kids have. So it's like, he just kind of wets himself all the time until he has the other surgery and gets it sealed up. So uh, we're, we're changing diapers a lot here. So we're, he's just, he's just going, you know, it's kind of like a leaky faucet right now because we're trying to keep that kidney from, from getting dilated. So if he gets older, ho- hopefully knock on wood, he can look back at this in a few years and be like, dad, why'd you talk about this on people's podcasts? But you know, we don't have secrets in this family. So, uh, but that's what we're dealing with. So we had to go through the surgery and that part sucked and there'll be another one and that's going to suck. And he couldn't get COVID, so we couldn't go basically anywhere for a while. So I had to cover a lot of stuff from home there for a while because we just couldn't, we couldn't get the surgery pushed back. So it had to happen when it did to try to help that kidney. So basically, long story short, um, these there's bags under these eyes are are getting bigger just constantly now. 
he falls right into you boys podcast he's he's got a story for a story uh you know something that we're not used to we haven't had to deal with but i'll tell you dude i've been here all day man i don't i got i got no secrets i got no shame this is what you get well i'll tell you this wes and and me and randy got asked in a in a message earlier today um do we ever hang out and we said no and we only live 30 minutes from each other and we said um, with our kids extracurriculars uh we don't have time to hang out with our friends that's 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 long gone so you know it it, uh, it gets like that when you become a dad they, they... And i can't even play like a, i can't play my ps5 sometimes at night now like <laughs> i used to like wind down like i used to turn my brain off by doing that you know i'd be like i'm gonna play some fifa i'm gonna play some assassin's creed and kill some stuff and and now for a while they're like the bassinet was in our room so my wife would be like you're waking up the baby and i'm like i don't care um <laughs> but so i ended up obviously losing that battle and and so yeah it's it's just amazing like the things that you know not not able to read as many books as i used to like you just don't have time um to do much of anything so it's just but it's great i mean i would not trade any of it but it's it's different for sure yeah so speaking of when your your time started to get taken up you you become the balls beat writer in january of 2005 ball football is coming off its first uh missing a bowl game under phil fulmer uh, what was the tone around the program at that time? Let's see. That, that would have been I was just about to come back from Chattanooga because I spent about two years covering UTC football, uh, Chattanooga football and basketball and stuff like that. And then but I still had, I, I, you know, connections and contacts in Knoxville. And I was just about to move back then. At the time, it was really just unusual because for the longest time at UT, uh, you knew who everybody was. Everybody knew who, like the basketball coach for the men would occasionally rotate, but like the athletic department had like, you know, and it, it had mama bear who, who was Pat Summit and had Papa bear, which was Phil Fulmer. Delmonico was there forever in baseball. And then it had Doug Dickey, the athletic director. And you sort of knew who everybody was. The same people had been there for years. Football only had two head coaches in 30 years and one took over from the other. They were both Tennessee guys. And so there was just this sense of, wait, what, what, it's different now. Things started getting different then. You know, UT became, um, you just didn't know who as many people were at times. And that was very different because there are a lot of people who said it, it had gotten stale and needed to change. But then when it changes, you're taking risks and you're kind of stepping into the unknown. And then obviously the thing with Lane Kiffin happened and then that's done within a year. So you're searching again, which puts your football program in a bind because you always lose guys, right? to you know, guys transfer out when there's new coaches. And so you do that three times in three years uh, in the SEC, you are, you're putting things back. And, and so it, it, you're, there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety, there was hope and excitement at first. And then things started to go a little bit askew and there was like, Oh, what's going to happen, you know, now. And, but then Cutcliffe came back with Fulmer. And so that part of it was, was good. And then Fulmer leaves after that. And then, then everything's, really haywire but things had started to change then because he had started to make some moves on his staff and but uh, but on the flip side of that Wes you know in in 2005 you know you had Bruce Pearl come in right and so you had mm -hmm. a a transition in the so for what was going on in football and basketball you know you had a team that started out much better than expected uh you know what was the buzz you know with Bruce and everything you know obviously football is you know top dog but you know with basketball making that transition what was that like at that time you know, the, the way that, that, that Bruce Pearl sort of took this, this town and this state by storm, it's, it's not too dissimilar from what Vitello's done, honestly. There, there are a lot of similarities um, because you get a guy in there who's very polarizing, 
uh, who people are either going to love or they're going to hate, um, but he's going to get people excited. He's going to get butts in the seats. Uh, he will do uh, anything basically good or bad for attention uh, on his program. He, he will, he will get people going and get people fired up. And, and so there was a lot of that going on. Um, and it was interesting because, you know, you had at the time um, the athletic director who had hired Bruce, there was this sense from the football program that like the basketball program was getting a little bit more uh, leeway on some things. And so you had like guys on the football staff that started to call the, the administrators, the ACC, because they wanted to make it a basketball school. And so you had a little bit of drama behind the scenes there. Um, but yeah, it, it was, you know, Bruce, those first few years could have done anything he wanted to do. And uh, no one would have found him guilty of a crime here. It was, it would have been yeah, possible. As a guy who's a Memphis basketball fan, I absolutely loved watching Bruce Pearl. There, there was the energy that he brought from sideline, that the, the way he would pull the jacket off, the, the sweat coming from him. He was so intense. Yeah, but there was always that sense that when you're covering his program, and I said this from the beginning, and people, people did not, a lot of people did not like that, but I've always just sort of said what I thought. And I was like, you know, this is kind of a roller coaster here that, behind the scenes things are kind of just getting like this could get bad at some point like they're kind of living on an edge here you know what i mean and and so there was sort of that always uh it's a little chaotic behind the scenes but hey when the lights come on baby they are ready to play some basketball and they will beat your ass you know that's just that's just what they'll do um but behind the scenes don't worry about behind the curtain there's just some things that get settled out there uh but there were some interesting guys that he uh, recruited both in some good and some maybe not as good ways and uh, there was always some stuff going on man and I don't know if it's the exact same at Auburn now I bet it's not because the world we live in but there's got to be some degree of it and it is man it is fun but it is the year Lane and Bruce were here I swear that there's 10 years at the end of my life that I've lost already <laughs> from that one year that that Lane and that Lane and, and Bruce were here at the same time because you talk about like sleeping with one eye open every single night being like, what in the hell is going to happen now that it, it, the apex of it was then because you had both sports right there that you were worried about. Well, the, well, the good news is with, you know, you have those characters, but you can reel it back and you can bring in the, the late great Pat Summon as you, as you brought her up a minute ago, you know, what was it like covering such an icon? The way I can explain Pat Summon is this, I, I've been fortunate in this business to meet and to interview and to be around uh, some really like iconic sports figures, either covering them or just kind of, you know, bumping into them or talking to them here and there. There are only two times in my life that I actually got a little bit nervous the first time that I talked to someone. Uh, one was Hank Aaron and the one was other, tonight. Yeah. And one was tonight. <laughs> there's three, so there's three, there was tonight. And then it was Hank Aaron and it was Pat Summit because you just feel like you are looking at just history, like, like someone who is bigger than the sport, like with, with Hank Aaron, you know, my hands had like, Hello, Mr. Aaron, like, I act like how I never act. And he's like, it's okay. Just, you know, calm down. Like I was a younger guy at the time. He was like, it's okay. Just, you know, you know, call me Henry. That's fine. Or Hank. And, and we just talked and he was awesome. Uh, so I got some stuff about some brave stuff I was covering at the time. And with Pat Summon, it, it, it was the same way. Like she, she was, she, she sort of, she just had a way about her that made you when you were covering her like at ease, 
Um, and, and that's not something people probably expect because they're like, there's this steely demeanor that she has all the time, had all the time. It was not like that. There were moments where when she was not coaching basketball, she would be very like maternal, especially with younger people and was very, very kind, very, I would say even tender at times, like just mm-hmm. the way that she would know that like, I, I'm Pat Summit, I might make you uneasy, but I'm going to make you feel more comfortable. And she just always, you know, she had everybody over to her house every year for the selection show for the tournament. And she made some of the best jalapeno corn you'll ever eat in your life. And, uh, you know, she just had a way of sitting down, being comfortable, talking to you, making sure you were at ease. And when you're a young person in this business, having to get over sort of the nerves of going to talk to, to Pat Summit, you know, it's like I was talking to a kid the other day who was going to go interview Peyton Manning. And I was like, you know, if, if you were to cut him, and I'm not saying cut him, but if you were to cut him, red would come out. Like he is a human. Uh, and, but you don't think about that when you're that age. You think like that, that Pat Summit is like some, you know, living God, which she sort of was. But, you know, she just had a way of making, making you feel really comfortable. And I, I will forever be indebted uh, to her uh, in memoriam for that. Um, because uh, as a young person in this business, I'm sure I asked dumb questions and I'm sure that I, you know, was, was an idiot, uh, cause I still am. And imagine being even more of an idiot back then. And she was always really cool about everything. Yeah. And I mean, you have to appreciate that. Like you said, it just, just another thing to add to her legacy. And, you know, we talk about all these different personalities you have to cover and then you have someone like that is just, just sets the bar so high and, uh, um, just makes your job, you know, easier, so to speak, you know, uh, more comfortable and, and just enjoy it. And so, uh, that man, that's really cool. And, uh, and for her to treat, uh, you know, everybody around her in such a way. But, you know, you were talking about the football thing when we come back to it. You know, you talked about, you know, Fulmer was let go. Kiffin was, you know, brought in. But, um, you know, I got a question. You know, uh, there were a lot of rumors when Kiffin left town. And there are rumors and fires being started, secret press conferences. But we want to know, how did you find out? Find out about, about Lane leaving? Yes. Um. I got a message uh, from Bruce Feldman, and he said, hey, I think Lane's about to take the USC job. And I just replied, like, basically, I'm not an LOL texter. I'm a ha-ha texter. Uh, I don't know why. I just, some people text her <laughs> LOL. I just don't. I do ha-ha. And I was like, basically, like, ha-ha, you bastard. Like, you're just messing with me. He's like, no, I'm being serious. Like, I think I think Lane, because at the time, Lane was like seventh or eighth on their priority list. He wasn't like high up, but they were dealing with the Bush fallout and some of the other stuff. And so they had to go farther down their list. And I, like I said earlier, I was getting um, new tires put on my car. And so at this point, I'm like, my laptop is at my house, which is not where I am right now. And this thing is about to pop off. So I'm having to tell them to like, hey, either put the old new tires back on or, or the old ones back on it. And I'll pay, I got to go. Like I have to leave like now. And, and so I got them. I think they put the new ones on and I paid them and I left and then just started writing that I thought it, cause you're trying to confirm it, but you start writing the story just in case that's how it is. Like, you know how um, it's sort of a dark term, but like, obituaries like the ap and the new york times and like they have obituary like it's like if any celebrity passes away they have like a long-running file that they go to these people and so they can just refresh it and hit enter so they have the news out there we sort of 
have things like that, that that we like hey if this guy leaves like let's have a couple paragraphs written on this so you're basically trying to refresh that stuff get it ready to go while also being on the phone texting call and being like hey is this happening hey is this happening and then you find out it's happening and you write the story and and you go from there and then you go to the press conference and kids burned mattresses and it, it was but it's refreshing to hear you talk about doing your due diligence because bad journalism is such a, a growing thing nowadays where people just want to report a story and not actually have facts. Oh no, it, it yeah, it's that's that's very, very true. And it you know, came to pass last weekend. It it does happen. Um, but the other funny thing I remember about that lane about that night with with Lane was that at the time, uh, and he's still a friend of mine, Bomani Jones at ESPN, at the time was still doing radio like in Durham, North Carolina, his um basically his hometown. And so he's from, he's from Texas, but also Durham is where he's based for a long time. And he was like doing a radio show and I was on his radio show at night and we were laughing about stuff. And then we were just kind of talking afterward, like, man, can you believe this? <laughs> like what, what the hell just happened tonight? And I, I, I'm just sitting there with like probably five or six fingers worth, like basically a palm sized bourbon uh, sitting there, like at three o'clock in the morning on my back porch, like what in the hell just happened tonight? What, what is this? And, and so that whole night was just, was just crazy, but yes, due diligence is important because, um, you know, when, when you don't have facts and you say awful things, uh, they do have consequences. They should have steeper consequences, but we won't get into that. No, they um, should like, uh, it, it, people say all the time that, 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 that journalists and are, are, are like police officers and that they will back their own no matter what. And there is a little bit of an element of that with some people like there is, and it's my instinct all the time. Cause like everybody hates the media. So if the media hates the media, then like, who's left? what are we doing here? So we do have to have each other's backs a little bit, but when people want to hate us anyway, so when someone does something and it reflects badly on you by association, you get kind of pissed. And, and so, yeah, that was incredibly irritating. And, and, that should never have been said. I hate that it was, and it it is upsetting. Not because I I have some personal stake in this, other than like it makes all of us look bad. No, absolutely, absolutely. So let's go back to you for a second, Wes. In 2011, you end up with 247 Sports, obviously making the move from the free times that you talked about, and you, you kind of mentioned that you never thought you were going to be back in Knoxville. Maybe it was going to be Atlanta, a big city like that. So what was it about 247 that made you come back to Knoxville? Uh, two words, Shannon Terry. Uh, he is very, 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 very good at what he does, and he is very persuasive. And um, they, they wanted uh, to hire me. And, you know, we talked about it for a while, and, and I basically at the time was like, nah, you know, I kind of wanted to be like I knew newspapers were basically the Titanic, but I wanted to go down with the Titanic. Like I love newspapers that much. Like I love – just you'd be in like a city, you would open up the, the paper, you would sit there and read it. And as a kid, I loved to read the paper and guys like, you know, the Gary Lundy's of the world and people that I grew up reading. And one of the reasons that I love doing what I do is because I kind of wanted to write as well as like a Gary Lundy did, or, or, or you know, like a, like a Jeff Calkins in Memphis, one of the best in our business, I still think to this day. One of the uh, best. And we're very, very blessed to have him in this state and have him, have him be a Tennessean. But it, it it's like you, you, I did not, I knew I was gonna have to do it eventually, but I didn't want to do it yet. And, and so basically when, when 24 seven was like, what are you going to, what would you need? And I basically told them a list, you know, we would need this many guys. It wouldn't just be me. We would need this many guys and we would need to have this kind of like, you know, budget to travel some, to do some stuff. And, and they were like, hold on, we'll get back to you. And then they were like, 
yeah, yeah, you can have all those things. I was like, wait, what? All of those things. Well, like, what? Really? I was like, man, should I, should I ask for a helicopter? Like, what should I have asked for? Damn. Private but, plane. Yeah. Like, you know, can I use your, can I stay at your ridiculously nice house in the Nashville area? Um, but no, it, it, and Shannon just was like, yeah, this, let's, let's do this. And I was like, well, I guess they've called my bluff on this. I'm going to have to go ahead and do this. Yes. I'm going and, back. And, and so I did. So I was like, all right, let's go. And, and I hated to this day to leave the Times Free Press. I loved being a member of that staff. It was a good family, family-ish. It wasn't like the huge corporation, uh, you know, it, and that was another big reason to 24-7 at the time. It was just 24-7, like CBS hadn't, you know, hadn't acquired us yet. And, and so I was always kind of afraid of kind of being lost like a cog, like just like a cog in the machine like, like that. And, and I really, I still to this day, I'm so close with so many people that were, were or still on that, that, that Chattanooga Times Free Press staff. And uh, we just, you know, I hated it. It felt like cutting off part, like an arm, like I didn't want to go uh, really, but it was an opportunity that I could not say no to. And so I, I jumped on board and I, I have not regretted it. It was, um, even though Shannon's not with us, he, he's obviously runs on three now and good luck to all those guys. Uh, even though they're competitors, we, we want to beat them. They'll want to beat us, but I got nothing against Shantari and you're, you're never going to get a bad word out of, out of, out of me regarding that guy. All right. So you get your 2011, that's kind of like year two of the, the Derek Dooley era. And one thing that I've always kind of wondered, best hair, best hair you've ever freaking never a hair out of place. My God, it's magnificent. <laughs> so your, your two doesn't, Chase doesn't go or disagrees just to be clear. He's got a good flow. He's got a good He's flow. got a lot of those Tennessee baseball players got good flow. But obviously season two season number two doesn't go great for Derek Dooley. But more specific than that, I want to know what kind of a guy was Derek Dooley to cover? Derek Dooley is not the best football coach I have ever covered, but he is the smartest person as a football coach that I have ever covered. Uh, Derek Dooley could legitimately talk to you about anything. And and I mean like anything, history, politics, like some of the best conversations he and I ever had nothing to do with football. Like I won't give it away, but like, let's say our politics were not, we were not in line politically, but we had great conversations about that. Um, and, and they were really, they were really fun talks about things or, you know, he'd talk about like Shakespeare or he'd talk about something. He just, I don't know how many coaches have ever quoted like for want of a nail, like Shakespeare and stuff to their football team. Cause I'm guys, I'm sure 99% of them are like, what the hell is this? But it's probably a hundred percent, Wes. They're right, you, like, never, you, never, you never know. You never know. One of, one of my uh, good friends growing up played college football as, a, as an offensive lineman and is one of the smartest dudes I know. And actually probably knows more about Shakespeare than anyone I know. He that is different. Him. Offensive linemen are a different animal. That's true. That's true. But, but, but so it, it, it was, he was fascinating because he would, he, he, he was really, really smart, but he also thinks he's the smartest person in the world. He's like really smart. He really is. But like he would walk into a room of, of like MIT engineers and think he could like explain engineering to them. That that's sort of how how Dooley can be. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed covering him. I, I would th- I thoroughly enjoy um, if I anytime I've caught up with him or just seen how I I, I enjoyed. He made that entertaining. Uh, some of the best press conferences you will ever see. The everyone to this day, like the Go Boss 24 7 podcast, it begins, you know, part of it's him talking about asking where Rommel is. Uh, I mean, it's it's just legendary, like, you know, shower discipline, just some of the greatest hits 
from press conferences that you will ever see. Like eat your heart out, Vitello and Pearl. Like a Derek Dooley press conference is like it's performance art. And and so a lot of Tennessee fans were really happy that he was gone. I was sad um, because I knew whoever whoever replaces him is not going to be as entertaining. I can tell you that. Wes, I, I was going to ask, man, is there like this unwritten rule like? You can't like be friends or have this emotional connection to guys that are truly good guys. And then they up, you, you know, on the back of your mind, you're probably going to leave because that's usually how it works. Nobody usually stays at somewhere forever. Yeah. Well, it's like you can't ever let your personal feelings get in the way of, of it affecting your work when you're covering someone. Like I've told guys like, like Wayne Chisholm, I've had, had as much fun covering him as you could possibly Weezy. have. Yo, just a legend, right? Um, but it was like, hey, you know, Wayne, if your big dumbass ever gets arrested, like I'm gonna have to write it. You know that, right? And 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 so like you, you can't like Swain, Jason Swain, one of my favorite people on the planet, and we ended up becoming really good friends. Not while I covered him, um, but after you know his the the leg injuries caught up with him, he didn't he didn't last very long in the NFL. He came back uh to knoxville and started living life and working like the rest of us and we have doing radio together and love the guy like a brother now but at the time you cover someone like I, i've never had more respect uh, up there the, the two people that i've covered them that i respected the most probably were pat summit and Conzo martin in terms of the human beings they are and, and i've told people for a long time like if if my son is ever good enough to go play ball somewhere whatever he can go play for anybody that i've ever covered be like I'll, wherever Conzo's going um, because you give him a boy and you get a man back. One of the best human beings uh, that I've ever covered in this business. But uh, the results, when they weren't very good, you got to be honest about it. You have to say, this is this is the truth. This is the, the, the objective truth here is that you are paid this much money to win games um, and, and you're, you're not winning as many as people want you to win. So, so you, can't, you can't ignore the, the truth. And so you can't ever get so close to someone that you will that you will let things slide or you will not do because my job at the end of the day i'm not paid to you know be tony vitello's friend i am paid to let tennessee fans know what's going on in in the program that's what i'm paid to do and and I, i that that's what has to come at the forefront right it's like you you are being paid to tell someone or to tell a group of fans and, and to note for, for history, this is what happened. And if you become part of the news or story yourself, um, that's not what we're supposed to do this for. Um, and, and that's not, so I can, we are humans and we like and dislike people. And anyone who tells you there's anything, there is no pure objectivity in our world. It does not exist. It, full stop, it does not exist. But the way I try to look at my job is that, there are good people everywhere and there are turds everywhere and the rest of it is colors of laundry that that is how i view things like if you airdropped me into like you know tuscaloosa which a lot of Tennessee fans would love they'd be like get the hell out of here but you know if, if i you know or boulder colorado or, or wherever my job would be to go in there and ostensibly do the same thing and that's what the job is so i just try to try to do the job so you've done the job, and we talked about this a long time, Wes. And yeah, you've covered a lot of stories. No, you've already mentioned it. I'm old. Oh, okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to mention I'm it. I'm the oldest 39 year old you will ever meet. I've, I thought maybe you, you forgot. Listen to Jawan Jennings. I'm not 43 years old. I'm 39. 
Jawan's hey, full. Jawan's a full grown man, man. I think he might be well, close he is, to 40. But he needs to work on his math. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you, like we, you covered a lot of stories, a lot of characters, and a lot of controversy. Tennessee is no stranger to controversy on the Hill. But was there ever a moment, because I've seen you talk about this and you mentioned it earlier today, was there ever a moment for the program as a whole that you thought this might be rock bottom? And then they probably shattered that and they went to the next thing. Man, there have been so many times where I was like, it's not going to get worse than this, right? Like, it's not going to get worse than this, is it? I mean, you know, I remember when they lost to Wyoming in football in 2008, you would have thought that the, that the, the Mariana Trench had opened up and swallowed Tennessee. Uh, and it, it just, there are so many things that you thought, surely they're going to get figured out by now, right? They put so much money into this. They care so much about this. They're eventually going to figure this out, aren't they? Um, but they couldn't. And, and for the longest time in the SEC, when you get behind, it's kind of like, I'm not like a, um, I'm not anti like car racing by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm not like a huge fan. Like it's not, you know, it's like cricket to me. Like it's neat. It's there. I see it. Um, but, you know, it's not like my thing, but like, I know that like in places like Talladega, there's like the draft in Daytona, there's like the draft. And if you get out of the draft, you're hurting, like you're going, you can't catch up. That's sort of what SEC football is like and baseball too, to a certain extent, you, you get that, they, they get that draft leaves you, man, you cannot catch up. And in football, it's 85 scholarships. So you got to build like for, it's not like basketball, you know, you get the right coach, get a couple of one and dones here and there, get a five star. That's that's like 20 percent of your starting lineup right there. So you get two of them. That's 40 percent of your starting lineup in football. You got to get like wave after wave after wave of guy. And you could tell there at times by the end of the Dooley era, you could tell like there is not a quick fix that exists here. There is no. And it's funny that people and they don't like it. And, and they shouldn't, they're fans, right? What's fan short for? Fanatic. That's Fanatic. what, that, that, that's what, and that's what they, by God, that's how they should be. They're fans. They care. And if they didn't care, I wouldn't be able to, you know, have like a nice job. So I'm glad that they care. But that part of the job is you have to explain or try to explain to people sometimes, you know, I don't think this is going to get better. For, this might get worse before it gets better. Uh, and, and that's how it was for a while. And, and Tennessee could never build and, and sustain enough elite classes to get it sort of back together. But, you know, the, they had the moments with the athletic director ran off and then they, they had a couple, they had a, they fired him and then they tried to get a couple others and it, it was some, just an embarrassment. I mean, just bad, just bad, 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 just, and, and you're doing this at a time when like Alabama's back on track when Georgia is starting to figure things out and be the program, it always should have been since the existence of the sport, right? Like Georgia and Texas, you should never suck there. It should be impossible with how many advantages they have. So you get far behind like that. And then all of a sudden, even Vandy with Franklin hires a good coach and like just South Carolina starts to pull money into its program. And just, you know, Kentucky starts to figure out a couple of things and gets better. Mizzou comes into the league and they win the East a couple of times because, you know, they got a pretty good coach and some good offensive linemen and a good defensive linemen. It just, it, that happened to them at an awful time and they lost the draft and they are still trying to catch up. Absolutely. It takes a, a long, long time. I got a question and we've seen at Tennessee, the power of social media. And obviously you've been in the crosshairs because you've mentioned it a thousand times on Twitter. You get that people are going to hate 
the pe- the people that cover their sport, right? Sure. What's your rule of thumb on responding to the idiots, Wes? Because I see you responding to some, and I'm like, why does this dude waste his time on these cats? It depends on a few things. One, my mood at any given time. Just hold, on, hold on, let me get my pen so I can take notes as you as you <laughs> This is a two part question, Wes. This is for you and Jim. It's like it's like my mood at the time. Am I feeling combative? Or am I, or like I want to have fun, or am I feeling like I'm just, I'm not dealing with this right now? Uh, and is it someone who, if I hit retweet and I respond to their idiocy, like 90,000 people will know how dumb they are? Uh, if I want people to see how dumb you are, then I, and I'm in the right mood, I will do it. And if not, I'll just ignore it. It just, there's no really scientific rule for it. I mean, I won't retweet, obviously, like, an incredibly inappropriate word like because there's just words that i don't want people to see um you know so if there's any sort of like racial slur or gay slur or anything like that i'm not gonna that stuff gets ignored just immediately blanket statement um but if someone's just being an idiot uh and they keep at it i'm like okay i'll let people know you're an idiot and maybe you're dumb enough to have your real name on there and people will see people be like i know that guy i don't know he was stupid you know um there's no rhyme or reason for it like i should pay less attention to it and most of the time these days i do um but there are still times where i'm like eh, i'm already sitting here in this game's what it's 15 to 2 in this game i've already got most of my story written yeah i got time today what, what else am i doing like you know i got i got a, i got an hour here hey idiots what are you being idiots about today you know it, no it, shortage it, of them no nah, and a lot of times if someone is just a troll, just looking to get a rise out of you, you got to detect those people and swat them away. Uh, and I'll tell you this too, do not mute them or, or do not block them, mute them. Because when you mute them, they will keep responding to you and they think that you're ignoring them. You're not even seeing it. So, so they're still clicking on your stories. They're still there. Cause if you block them, like, they're going to go away. I, I want you to still read the story. I want you to click on this. I just want you to think that I'm ignoring you. And really it's even worse than that. I don't There's, even, there's a note number one for me because I block them. So there we yeah, go. Yeah. Don't That's block one. mute, mute, mute. Got it. So obviously Wes, we, so you've covered a lot of polarizing people, a lot of polarizing teams over the years. Have you ever seen a team, not even in college baseball, but in your time as a writer or at Tennessee, more polarizing than this version of Tennessee baseball? I would honestly have to go back to probably 1980s Miami football, uh, the late the late 80s there. Those canes, the, the you know the ones that that's like stepped off the plane, like wearing military fatigues, like you know those those dudes. Uh, th- they were there. I think probably the Fab Five at Michigan were like that to a certain extent. Like there were people who just for whatever reason decided that they hated them. Probably a lot of it for unfortunate reasons that we know are the truth and we probably shouldn't say them out loud. I but, love we know them. What, but we know what they were. We Absolutely. know why a lot of people didn't like them. Uh, but, so it's not anything like that, but, but it's sort of like that. They are a, they are what makes WWE so exciting for so many people is the heels. It really is. It's the heels. You need the heel. I'm going to quote my old boss, Shan Terry. Everybody needs a nemesis. And one of the best things that can get you up in the morning is a nemesis. And these guys are a nemesis. And I don't know if that was intentionally the plan or it just kind of happened that way. But I think from their standpoint, there was kind of an old boys club in the SEC in baseball. 
and they were all the certain kind of way. And they, they got some of the best players. They did what they did. They won. And you just, you, you could be a really good team, maybe one of the top 15 or 20 teams in the nation, but you might be in the back half of that conference. Um, and it's tough. And what were they going to do to be different? They were, they were just going to be loud. They're, they, they are going to be, they are built for this generation. They are loud. They are in your face. The unwritten rules can GTFO. They don't care. They are here to throw hundred mile an hour fastballs, hit 450 foot home runs, spit in your face, bat flip. spit in your face while they're doing it, bat flip, maybe even occasionally throw a finger rounding first base. That was a new <laughs> one. I hadn't seen that one before. And I would not have in a million years, I would not have picked Beck for that. He would not have been like in the top 10, probably guys that I thought, no, nah, I could see them doing that. Um, but you never know, right? It's just, if you've, if you've been to a game at Lindsey Nelson in the past few years, it is really like stepping into like, like a hornet's nest. It is loud. It is in your face. They are there to not just beat you. They want to end you. Like they, I mean, the student section has already Instagrammed all of your names and they know your girlfriend's names and they're going to chant them at you. <laughs> that you're going to be hassled every step of the way. Like this is not Mississippi state where like, they're going to feed you barbecue at the end of the game. That's not how they roll. They are out there for blood. Now, when the game's over, some of the best quotes you'll ever get praising the other, praising the other team come from either Tony Vitello or Drew Gilbert, who will after a game be like, man, that guy was really competitive. His stuff was really good. And this will be the same guy. He's MF in like 10 minutes previously. And like in his face, throwing the bat in his direction, like, you know, after he gets the, the, they walk back to get to him. And, and the you let him know. I knew I was like, first off, this is 100% the right baseball play. And also 100%, this is going to piss Drew Gilbert off. You tweeted it. And he's going to do something. That's like, hey, let, let me and, tell you, and, Wes. And, and, and after he did it, you could see he pointed at him. He pointed at everybody on that infield and was like, walk me next time. Bleep, bleep, bleep. Sully. <laughs> hey, let me tell you, Wes, one of the great things about when we had Dolander on, uh, Randy asked him, you know. God, what a nice kid he is. He yeah, really- well, we asked him, you know, what happened the first time he came across Gilbert, and he said he absolutely let him know, and not just that day, but every day for a good long portion. And so <laughs> – Even now that they're teammates, he still lets him know about when he bat flipped on him. Yeah, and, and oh, yeah, he poured, I mean, he poured a statue of himself in Statesboro that weekend. Like, he – he just and I got a, I got a bunch of family down in South Georgia too, like the hillbillies and rednecks all over this family, and they love the Eagles down there. Like they love Georgia Southern. They show up for those sports. They fill them up. They are loud. They are great fans. It's a there's to be honest, not a whole lot else to do in Statesboro. You're going to go to the game, and and so uh, that whole town wanted Drew Gilbert like burned alive, and he knew it, and he feeds off of that. And when he hit that second home run. Uh, he, I mean, honestly, he poured a statue of himself right there uh, at the field down there. But th- that's how these guys are, right? They they will be the nicest kids the second they are not playing baseball. Drew Gilbert, when you don't, when he you get him away from the field, he is just a nice Minnesota kid, 100%. you know. And and but the sec- he's like a maniac. He did yeah. his last interview with us from Target. He's a, not, yeah. he's a normal individual. He shops at Target. He's normal. Yes. He's what well, he ought to. He's from he's from Minnesota. He's building some NIL pipeline stuff there for the future. Um, but you know, it, it, it's like they are. 
it is a culture that is incredibly competitive to the point where it becomes spite sometimes. Like they will win, not just because they want to win, but because they want you to lose. They want to beat you. They want to be better than you. And that that is what drives them. And that's what people don't understand. I, I, I don't know if people understand. These guys could lose 10 games in a row. Nothing about their behavior would change. This no. is who they are. When they are between those lines, that's what they're doing. And they don't care who says that it's inappropriate or who, who they, they just don't care. For right or wrong, they don't care. They are there with an objective, and that is to win a championship. And if that attitude is what pushes them all on that goal, they're going to ride it. That's just how, that's just who they are. And I, and I think that obviously, you know, since he's been covering I, Tennessee Twitter, again, undefeated, they do their research. A lot of people have been going back and finding when Vitello was hired, people saying this is a terrible hire. Who's Tony Vitello, this, that, and the other. And obviously nobody would have, everybody has revisionist history, right? Nobody could have said it's going to be this way in year four. I don't think that would, they would be lying. What do you think Tony's been able to do specifically? Is it as simple as, you know, he's a great recruiter because we know that he is. Is it the culture? Is it just everything that he's built? What do you think specifically he's done to get them to where they are now? I'll put this in perspective. Dave Serrano on paper is maybe the best hire Tennessee has made in any sport since I have been not just covered him, but been around or understood the program. Like in any sport, he had one, like he had gone, he, he had been an assistant when Tennessee went to Omaha. He had gone to the College World Series with multi, with two different teams, like as a head coach. He had won a buttload of games. He was on paper an unbelievably great hire. True. And he didn't get it done in Tennessee. And he'd be the first to tell you that. He didn't get it done. Now, he might have different reasons for why he didn't, but the bottom line is he just didn't. So in from that, they hire a guy who at the time was, what, 38 years old or whatever he was at the time and had never been a head coach. And Tennessee was just thinking, you know what? He's young. He's energetic. He will recruit, which is what this program needs to do. And he will put some for lack of a better phrase, piss and vinegar into this program. And that's what he's done. Boy, has one. I mean, they, I mean, and, and it's not like they didn't have any players when he got there, but they didn't have many. They really didn't. I mean, when you go back and look at some of those, the, the first year or so, like that team, I mean, and that's no offense to those, those guys. I, I still know a couple of those guys. They were not like a college world series squad. They just weren't. And, and so he and his staff, have hit the ground from day one. They didn't just recruit older guys and get Juco bandits. They went and started with guys that were going to take years to recruit. And they got in there. They did the work. Um, they were able to convince some big time guys like Ortega to, to commit to Tennessee when it wasn't the cool thing to do. Um, and they even had a year where the draft really, really, really screwed them. Um, and, and that hurts them more than what others because they needed to replenish the program. Uh, but still to this day, the worst that I've ever seen uh, was Serrano with Mookie Betts. That is one of the all-time worst nut-punching stories I can remember because Mookie was on campus. He was enrolled. He was working out with the team. He was done. Like, he was going to college. And the Sox didn't sign, like, a couple of the guys they drafted ahead of him. And at the 11th hour, they ridiculously upped his offer out of panic to get it done. And you would have thought that Dave Serrano had like someone had just like that his dog had died. 
Like it, he was like, this kid, you have no idea how good this kid is. <laughs> and he was right. He was, he was, was right. He was really good. Um, but you know, that that's, but what Vitello has done is in short, he has worked like a maniac. He has, um, he does not have a wife. He does not um, have even, he doesn't have kids, doesn't have a dog or a cat even. Uh, he, this is, his, this is, you ask him, those kids are his life. And, and he means it. Uh, for better, for worse, I think for worse sometimes because I think that's why he's a maniac sometimes is because he needs you need something at home, man. You need something like you know, like my wife keeps me from going insane a lot. She's great, um, you know. Uh, so so that would maybe help, um, but he basically just puts everything he has into recruiting. He is out every second you can be out recruiting. He is out recruiting. He is in. He has built a culture where the guys want to be in that building. They want to be working. They are working on a common goal um, because you don't get where they've gotten without having guys like Camden Sewell, who really should be in someone's weekend rotation. Oh yeah. Mark McLaughlin should be in someone's weekend rotation and he's gotten them there and he's kept them there. And when they should have probably gone transfer somewhere else to be like a starter somewhere. Like Trey Lipscomb, he waited, yeah, waited years. Waited four years um, because, yeah. you know, he was behind even Austin Knight, who had to transfer to Charlotte, who was like an All-American now um, because they had, you know, Lipsius and Rucker. They just had a bunch of guys over there. And, and so hashtag Team Rucker. So you couldn't <laughs> – you couldn't – they, they just had to build a culture, and they did. And he was able to also get a couple breaks, like um, when the Oregon State coach, you know, it, it decides he's going to – Casey's going to retire – and then all of a sudden, Drew Gilbert's like, ah, maybe I shouldn't go. I don't know who the coach at Oregon State's going to be. And I know I've already signed, but I need to get out of that. And he's like, I'm going to go to Tennessee now. So you've had to get a couple breaks along the way. But really, uh, you know, there's no – the COVID draft year, they get Tidwell, um, who normally would never have sniffed college because he would have gotten too much money. He would have just gone. But because it was a five-round draft, uh, he didn't get taken. And so he wants to go – to college for two years, which he was a sophomore draft eligible. So what that helps a little bit, but Chase Burns should never have come to college. Oh, yeah. uh, Blake Burke should never have come to college. Christian Moore should never have come to college, but they've convinced those guys and they've gotten them there. They bought in. And that's how they have a team that is, looks to be just about as good as any, no matter what happens the next couple of weeks, one of the best college baseball teams. I think a lot of us have ever seen when guys like Kyle Peterson, are, are and and you know uh, Kylie McDaniel uh, guys like that are saying I've never or in Mike Rooney you're like I've never seen a college baseball team this good you should take that seriously because those guys 100%. know what they're talking about and what's really stood out to me and Jim and I talked about this earlier today in DB is that when people talk about Tennessee and I had a guy tell me well I mean they're losing Evan Russell they're losing Lipschitz and they're losing that but you just named Blake Burke, Christian Moore, all these young guys, Chase Burns, Dolander, all these guys are going to come back. They're all freshmen or, or, you know, the transfer sophomore Dolander, but all these guys are so young. It's not like he's building. It's not like a flash in the pan. Tony's building this thing for the long haul. And I think that people don't want to accept it. Yeah. Look at like the 2024, 25 classes, even like down the road, the guys at Tennessee's already got in the barn. As long as he stays there, um, and let's not forget now the, the transfer portal exists and, Ooh. you know, Speaking I mean, Speaking of the transfer portal, Wes, I heard Tommy tanks was on campus today. Can you confirm? 
Uh, I cannot confirm that, but I know that Tennessee is very much in that fight. Um, I, I've been working on it. And to be honest with you, I, I said my brother is getting married and he's, he's come in town today. And so I've had to like make sure like the suits are where they need to be. So I, I've been really preoccupied for a lot of today until like 15 minutes before we did this. So I, I do not know that for sure, but I know that Tennessee is very much in that fight and that um, if it's going to come down to like NIL stuff, which it might, you know, Tennessee can get in that box and swing, man. They, they, I feel like we're in a good position then. Yeah, Imagine they, Blake Burke and Tommy Tanks in the same lineup. Well, yeah, I mean, and just the guys too. I mean, let's not forget there are some other guys out there in the, 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 in oh, the yeah. world that if Tennessee's very much in that battle for a lot of guys. And um, so if they, even if they lose guys, like, I don't know what I imagine that Jarrell will probably go pro, but I don't know that for sure. Um, but if he does, like, okay, just Christian Moore plays second base. Like, it's it's no problem. You know, they got guys coming in, too. Like, they got Juco guys coming in. They got a guy at Walter State. Um, and I got a sh- – my, my mom's a dean there. I really should know the, the kid's name. But off the top of my head, I forget it. But they got, like, a six-foot-five outfielder coming from Walter State that if he doesn't go in the draft, that guy's got power and speed. He'll step in and play almost immediately. I mean, th- th- they're going to – as long as Tony's there, they recruit and Elander too, who is great. Those sure. guys and Frank Anderson with the pitching staff, like they are great. And Tony delegates and trusts those guys, and they're really good. Uh, and Frank Anderson has a laundry list of guys in the pros that he can call on that'll be like that'll vouch for him as a great pitching coach. So as long as Tony's there, like you're never gonna be. It's not like you're gonna be as good as this team is every yeah. year. Right. That's just that's just freakish. Um, but as long as Tony's there, they're, they're going to win because he is a maniac and he will win. Absolutely. Shifting gears just a little bit, kind of talk about recruiting and, and coaching controversy when Rick Barnes is, you know, leaves Texas, gets let go, Texas, whatever you want to say, the Tennessee job comes open because of more controversy. And he comes in. A lot of people didn't like that at the time either uh, thought hit, you know, this was just like his retirement plan and this guy's washed up and this is that. And of course there's the, things you could say about that doesn't have the big tourney wins and doesn't have the championship and all that but as far as what he's meant to kind of rebuild that image what do you think the job that Rick Barnes has done in his time there I think he has done a really really good and sometimes underappreciated job at Tennessee Agreed. I'm not saying it is a flawless resume he should have more postseason wins since he's been at Tennessee uh, there there is no argument about that he he really uh, and and some of it's bad luck, like that Lamonte Turner foul call against Purdue. That was garbage. It was. I mean, just objectively, it was a bad call, and it came at the worst time possible. And they've had a couple moments like that that were just weird. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you should win more. But as long as he is there, they are going to be in the fight every year. And for every – I would say historically, I, I don't have – it's not like I've done – like I know I can recall – a list of enough things to make this a, uh, an accurate argument, but I I'm, I'm speculating here that for every situation like the Buffalo bills, where you always get there and never win, there are infinitely more people who given enough chances, they win like Elway at the end of his career. Like if you just keep getting to the dance, if you just keep getting a good seat, if you just keep getting yourself in the fight, Odds are at some point you're probably going to break through. I don't know, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what that percentage would be, but as long as he's there, they're going to be relevant. Like 
Rick Barnes has only been to one final four, which is way not enough for, for no. what his career should have been. That is still one more than Tennessee basketball has ever had in That's... its existence. And I think people that shocks people because Tennessee has, it went through a period there with Houston, some other stuff where they were rough, but um, you look at the seventies and, you know, mirrors DeVoe, like Tennessee's won a lot of games. There are programs that are a fraction of what Tennessee is historically that have been to final fours. They've like backed into one. Like it, it, it's just weird, but the fact is Tennessee has not done it. And, and so uh, that is, um, I know Rick Barnes still cares. I know he still works cr- like crazy. Uh, I know that he still wants to prove these people wrong and we'll see if he does. I think people forget that Rick, Rick Barnes at the end of his career or at the beginning of his career was a lot like Tony Vitello is now. If you go back to like the Rick Barnes, like Dean Smith stories from back in the day, like Rick was like a maniac when he first yeah. started coaching, when he was at Clemson and Providence and you know Mason, some of these places. And he had to like eventually calm down. But but now a lot of people in basketball would be really, really happy to see Rick Rick get one. Uh, and yeah. uh, we, we have a I, saying on this show about Rick Barnes, me and Daniel, but we're going to keep it. Nah, family, but nah, nah, we don't, <laughs> nah, we don't, but I, I think I, that, I, I, Rick is, Rick is what you see is what you get with Rick Barnes. You got to remember, you got two Memphis basketball fans on the, on this show. So, oh, so yeah. I mean, oh yeah. We hate like, Rick Barnes. Oh, well, well, I mean, it's, it's funny though, because you know, a lot of the stuff, you know, Penny does is maybe a little bit like some of the stuff. Oh, like does. oh here we go. There I mean, was only it, one team that didn't show up for the game last year. I'm saying you know, it, it, it's so funny because I like there's this thing in the state of Tennessee that like that like there's the three stars on there for a reason. Tennessee is not one state, it is three states that are sort 100%. of loosely that are like a loose confederation of three states in one state. Um, but like traditionally, like you know, Nashville and Memphis do not like each other. And that's and, true. And Nashville and Knoxville pretty much get along. Nashville and East Tennessee get along. But like East Tennessee and West Tennessee are so it's like they don't even it's not that they don't like each other, it's that they don't understand each other because like they're different planets. <laughs> and but I have my brother lives there. Like my sister lives in Nashville, my brother lives in Memphis. So we're taking over the whole state because I've been in Chattanooga and Nashville. We just need someone to in Knoxville, we just need someone to go to the Tri-Cities and we'll have we'll have the whole thing wrapped up. Um, but it, it it's I love the city of Memphis. I love, you know, I want that. I think rising tides lift all boats. Yeah. And I think Tennessee and Memphis and basketball to a certain extent need each other. They, they should play each other every year. They should make it a state no, law. No and, I don't care, and I don't care who's right or who's wrong. Yeah. And I don't care who said what in the past or what. I, I don't care. I just don't. They need to play. And I, I it's not that they even need each other to be relevant because they can both be relevant without the other, but you really kind of that little nemesis in your, that nemesis in your, in your backyard can really push you to be something that better than that. Like would Mississippi state, you know, have, have, you know, maybe built duty noble to what it is. And if, you know, eventually won a national title, if it hadn't, you know, had to battle every year, like crazy with Ole Miss for everything, for every table scrap, they will fight and wrestle and Southern Miss is in there too. And they're not a joke at all, obviously. And so you, you've got, you're fighting each other. And to do that, you make each other better. And so I think Tennessee and Memphis and basketball, if they would just get over themselves and just play and 
sometimes that means you're going to get embarrassed by the other one and you're going to have to own that. And it sucks for you, but it's better for both. Well, sometimes Wes Memphis, the, the little brother wins, the little brother wins. So Memphis well, wins sometimes. I mean, I, I, I've, seen, I've seen Memphis house Tennessee before. Yeah. Just, just, just go back to when they were one and two. How much fun was that? I mean, for both schools, the state, like there's no reason that can't happen again. That and, and I, I covered that game because you know I'm old, and that was it was not the prettiest basketball game ever. In fact, it was a pretty ugly no. game, but it was theater, man. It was performance theater, and that the man the the, the forum was rocking. It was shaking. It was just two groups of people who hated each other's guts, like they just. To, I mean, even like that group of guys, like because that was um. You, know, you had Dorsey and CDR and Rose mm-hmm. on that team. And then you had Tennessee had the 18 Smiths and yeah, Tyler and Chisholm and JP <laughs> Prince and Chisholm and all those guys. And they were like, Memphis kids. Yeah. No. But, it, but like those, those groups of guys, like they even almost got into a, like a fight, like at a little Wayne concert, like just away from basketball. I, I love mean, it. Th- th- there was some animosity there. It was. Hold up, Wes. Did you go cover? Did you go to the little Wayne concert to cover the fight? No, but I heard <laughs> about I heard about them sort of being, uh, you know, separated a little bit. I want to know um, who I want to know who grabbed Joey Dorsey and told him yeah, he wasn't going to. Yeah, do for I real. Would, I'm telling you, like, you know, Tyler Smith. I would I would let that dude babysit my son. He is a I am a believer in Tyler Smith, and anyone who says otherwise can pound sand. I think that's a good human being. I really do. Uh, I would not want to make him angry. Um, but but with that said, uh, Joey Dorsey. Uh, could be like the nicest person in the world. You would not. I, no. I would take Joey Dorsey in that fight. That dude is. What what words can we say and not say on this podcast? You say anything you want. Whatever. That is a brick shit house if I've ever seen. <laughs> like no that. Doubt. Like you think like Ben Joyce is a big dude and he is by the way. He is enormous. Yeah. Um, Dorsey, like his shoulders. I don't even know if if he would like fit through the door coming in here. Like he was just. He was like six eight or whatever. wasn't like the biggest guy yeah. ever, but like man, that he was, was a, as wide as he was tall. That boy that was, was huge, man. Like I remember seeing Dwight Howard when he was um, playing in a high school game, and he basically looked like he does now when he was like 17 or 16 years old. Um, but Joey Dorsey was not far behind on that list of dudes I saw, and I was like, that dude will mess up your life. He will hurt your children who are not born yet. Will hurt because of the hurt he could put on you. He was a big dude. No doubt. So, Wes, speaking of big stories, obviously the baseball team is a huge national story, and we love it. First time they've been a national story the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But we'd be remiss if we had you on and we didn't talk about what we all know is king, and that's football. And just kind of how you think Heupel's done in his you know, first year and how you think it's going now and even recruiting. And what do you think the expectations are for Heupel and staff going into year two? That, those are really good questions. And it's so funny because, you know, baseball has been so captivating this year that, that – the, and, and basketball obviously is you know you could say football is king around here and it is but basketball is really not very far behind it's it's a very the acc very big deal. that's what i heard it's a very very big year very very big deal around here all the time um so basically it, it feels like forever since that purdue game my god it feels like forever ago uh and and but those guys the job they did in year one i'll put it to you this way I, I, I'm not a gambler, not for any religious or ethical reasons. I just, I just don't, I'm just not, I've just never been like a gambler. Like I'll be like, Hey, let's play a buck, a hole in golf. But like, I don't like bet on sports or anything. I don't, you know, never like, you know, 
casinos or anything like that. It's just not my thing. But like, I would have put down multiple mortgage payments on that Tennessee team not having a chance in hell of playing in a bowl game. Well, I saw that first spring. Uh, I mean, when they had a they had a long snapper have reps at linebacker. Do I need to say that louder? They had a long snapper playing linebacker. That's what they had to do uh, in that first spring. And, and it was to take that and to go into the season with the quarterback who ended up not being your actual quarterback and, and to have all that happen and to be like a butt hair away from being like nine wins. Yeah. That is, I mean, or even, I mean, you can go more than that. Like, you know, Pitt went, you know, break went the wrong way. Ole Miss break goes the wrong way. Purdue. No, the refs took the, Never mind, Wes. I don't want to get into that. Well, regardless, regardless. No, you're right. But, but they were so close so to those close. to three to, to like double digit wins with what they had to work with to start oh, yeah. with. Uh, it was unbelievable. And that's why every award that Hypo won last year absolutely deserved. Uh, that was that was fantastic what they were able to do. And as long as he is at Tennessee, they're going to put points on the board. His offense is nice. Super nice. It's, it reminds me of like an old Eric Berry quote about Lane Kiffin. He's like, say whatever you want. Say whatever you want about Lane, but that offense is nice. Nice. You know, that's what I'd say about Hypo. Say whatever you want to say, but that offense is nice. They're One. Gonna, yeah, sorry. Points on the board. You have to do that to win these days. Now, they have a million other things to do to get to like the level they want to be at. They're not even close to that in terms of having to get the size, the depth that you need to like really, really go toe to toe with an Alabama or George. Like maybe they could outscore them a game here or there, but like to really be at that level, they, they're, they, they got work to do to do that. But, you know, you get a guy like Nico, uh, you're, you're, that helps, uh, you know, that that'll help down the road, but you know, they, they need to, keep doing what they're doing. I think the expectations for this year, when you look at the schedule, um, they should be pretty good. Uh, they, they should be, they should be high octane on offense. Adding Brew McCoy uh, will really help uh, with, with having to lose some of those receivers that they lost uh, getting Tillman back, but not having him go pro was nice. Obviously everyone knows uh, everyone knows that hookers back um, a couple replacements they need up front to, to do some things there, but, um, and I'd like them to get a little better at running back. They need to, I think they need to get a little physically bigger there, um, but they're going to be relevant. They're going to, they're going to put points on the board and they're going to be fun. My question is, can they stop anybody? Um, Fair. They don't need to be great defensively. They just need to kind of get in the way a little bit, force a turnover, force a turnover to a game, get maybe three stops a game, force a turnover. Do that with that offense. You can win. Be but, opportunistic. Yeah. You, you, but, but they, they have to get, um, they need to get better defensively. I think they know that, um, but they are, yeah, I mean, they're going to be relevant. They're certainly like, I mean, there's no question they're a bowl team. It's just a matter of, you know, are they like a seven win team or can they be like an eight or nine win team or, you know, wh how, how, what can they do? Um, they could be, they could be pretty good. I think they've, they've got a chance to be now. Uh, they're not what Georgia and Bama are. And if anybody tells you otherwise, no, they're, some, they're lying some great oceanfront property in Arizona. I would love to sell you right now. Uh, you know, if you're going to believe that, but they are, they need to recruit like they, like they've been doing keep doing better. They got to retain those players. They got to build those players. And 
you know, sprinkling some hot sauce like a Nico quarterback down the road. But in terms of this year, uh, yeah, I think they're going to be they're going to be pretty fun to watch. I think. I got one last question, then we're going to get to DB. He's going to play a little game with you. You brought up the old Miss game, and I just want to talk specifically about, you know, obviously the incident and the mustard and the golf balls, but just talk about specifically what was the atmosphere like that whole night? And was it a bit, it seemed like I wasn't in person, I was watching on TV. It seemed like it built up to that the whole game. Is that how it went down? Yeah, I, I'm not like an ancient Roman, so I can't tell you what it was like in the Coliseum. <laughs> when you had like, you know, the lions and the tigers coming out and them chanting, you know, like, like, I, I, but it felt like you're not that old. No, it's close maybe, (laughs) but not that old, but it, it, it just, it was a combination of factors that every single one of them had to fall into place to make it that Uh, there was, it was lane. It was they, a couple of one, absolutely just wretched call with the turnover that should have been a touchdown for Tyler Barron. They got taken off the board um the the warren spot we can go back and forth on that one that's just a tough call that's a coin flip maybe it was or wasn't but that should have been a touchdown for the defense there the cramps and still still after all of that then you know hooker has to get hurt uh and then you know um then you've got you know the i mean that obviously built the whole thing into two but even after all that tennessee still you know milton threw an absolutely fantastic pass under duress that 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 maybe if it's early in the game, if he's a little bit fresher, Tillman can get to. I mean, we're talking inches away from that being a a, a score right there, uh, but it just it just didn't happen. And then we have the spot, and, and you just a bunch of things went into that. And then of course Milton, poor guy, running out of bounds at the end. I don't, I'm talk about a brain cramp. But that was just poor guy. Like I just oh, felt bad for him. But mm. you know, it, it, they're all humans, right? Ask yeah. Kevin Russell right now. They're all humans. They're, they are very much humans. And they have feelings and emotions and they're real people. And I felt for him there. Um, but it was a combination of things with all the, all the cramps, you know, all, all the cramps and all that, which Tennessee has done that too. Let's oh yeah. Tennessee yeah. did that. You think all the, you think Tennessee had an offensive lineman her on every single extra point, just out of coincidence. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? A little gamesmanship, Wes. Yeah. How many times has Dane Davis got to go down after a PAT before he realized what the hell's going on there? Like it's everyone does it. Tennessee's not immune to it. Everyone does it this these days. It's part of the game. But it just so happened that that the that the Ole Miss in that game was doing it a little bit more than usual, uh, quite often. And um and, and a lot of things because it was Lane, because he's acting the way that Lane does. And I Lane to this day, I actually really, really like Lane. He is a really, really funny guy. I do too. Uh, and he's a fun guy to be around. He just is. And he's quieter than you would think. And when there's no cameras rolling, he's a very different guy um, because Lane knows he's putting on a show. Lane hundred percent knows he's putting on a show. And when he's not putting on that show, it's a much different guy, but everything had to come together at the wrong time for the wrong opponent. And Tennessee was like that night. They were like, Oh God, we're back. We're back. We're back. You can just tell the fans were thinking we're going to win this game. We're back by God. And the rug got pulled out again. And there's booze in the stadium now. And you put all those things, a night game when they've had all day to lubricate. Uh, you know, it, <laughs> it, it, it was a combination of things that it, at the end led to that, which is unfortunate because I don't know if I need to be specific about this. There's unless like a, a like someone in like breaks into your house, there's never really a good reason to throw a golf ball at someone no. uh, that, that could agreed. Hurt. PSA that could hurt someone. Uh, it's a game. You freaking idiots. Calm down. At the end of the day, this is 
young adults slash big kids playing a game. So let's chill a little bit. But yeah, it was it was unfortunate. Uh, all right, Wes, man, it's it's been a lot, man. It's been it's been a pleasure. But before you run, we want to play a quick game that we play with all our guests. You down to play? Of course. All right, it's called This or That. It's very simple. I give you two options. You choose one or the other. You just can't say both, and you can't say neither. You got to be decisive real quick. Just pick whatever whatever one floats your boat, man. I'll do my best. All right, here we go. First question. Dogs or cats? Dogs, bro. I love both. Flying or driving? Driving. Would you rather be street smart or book smart? Book smart. Love books. What's your favorite book? Probably Walter Isaacson's uh, Benjamin Franklin biography. Probably. All right. What's the one book that you think everyone should read? Mm-hmm. Probably a Vonnegut book. Um, I don't know. Maybe, uh, you know, I thought about Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye, if you're going to read one. Good choice. like it. Would you rather be in a group hangout or would you be a, a one-on-one kind of guy? One-on-one. Better answers that way as a journalist. Baseball or soccer? <sighs> Baseball, but that's a tough one. Would you rather owe money or owe a favor? A favor. I'm in debt to no man. There you go. All right. Now into the the the. Uh oh. Did I lose you there for a second? Yeah. He looks like he's frozen. On to the harder questions, Wes. We're just going to pick up where he left off. All right. Go ahead. Fur coat or daddy hat? Daddy hat. Why do you think sometimes, that is? Sometimes it's hot. Sometimes it's hot. DB's back. Take it there over. There he is. Every time. That's just my that's my calling card. Oh. Who's a bigger snub? Manning or Lipscomb? Manning. But you do agree that Lipscomb should have been in the running, right, for that player of the year, right? Absolutely should have been. And because of his defense, also, he's an elite defender and uh, just an overall baseball player as much as I mean, Cruz is amazing. Sonny is fantastic. If you don't love Sonny, you don't love baseball. But um, as an all-around player, base runner, defensive player, I think you could you could very easily argue. Wes, I, I line up the stats. I, I am a LSU baseball fan, and Dylan Cruz is my guy. I, I was with the family uh, in Hattiesburg this weekend, and I will say that Trey Lipscomb deserved it 100% over Dylan. So I really do think he got yeah, there's, there's different arguments on who's the better prospect versus who's the who should have won the award. If you're going just on a prospect, like Trey's a one-year guy, he's maybe third or fourth round pick, we'll see. Because um, a lot of people are like, why did it take him three or four years? Whereas Cruz has been a bonus baby since he came out of the womb, basically. I mean, everyone knows how good Dylan Cruz is. So, yeah, I mean, as a prospect, you would take Cruz first, but this ain't about picking prospects. I mean, Lipscomb I mean, If you're about just, picking prospects, would Redmond Walsh be Tennessee's closer? No. <laughs> Lipscomb just had the unfortunate luck that Dylan Cruz decided to go to school. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's, that's... Did, and I think there's also a fact that, without all that said, if you told me right now, if you asked me right now, dollars to donuts, best baseball player in the Southeastern Conference... I would tell you Drew Gilbert. 
It's a great argument. I mean, well, and the stats actually back that up. I, the, the latest, the latest sides could also come out of the could come out of the pen if they if you really needed it and throw a ninety five mile an hour heater from the left side. Great West, I follow the draft boards all year long. To start this season, Drew was a fringe second to third round pick. Right now, they have him all the way up to the top twenty. Yeah, and I'm telling you, he is. And spite has carried that young man a long way because they listen to five nine. I'm telling you, bro, he ain't that. No, he no ain't way. that. But he is just a little ball of angry muscle and twitch, <laughs> and if, he will wreck you. If he wants to say that he's five nine, he needs to stop celebrating with Blake Burke on home run celebrations. Yeah, and he's all he's like his throwing partners Jordan Beck, who's another <laughs> brick shit house. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, go stand next to Redmond Walsh. Go stand next to Kirby. <laughs> like, what are what are you doing? All right, Wes. the The next question is that that age old question, you know, quality or quantity. But the the way I'll pose it to you is: Would you rather save a hundred strangers or one loved one? One loved one. My people are my people, man. That's right, baby. That's uh, that's that's the right answer. No Ride, doubt. Or Ride or die. Yeah. Um. Last question, and this is our, our staple question. It's become probably one of our most popular questions, if not the most popular question that we ask people. Would you rather spend 10 years in a coma or five years in jail? Ten years in a coma, probably? Yeah, got to be, man. That's, that's that, the right answer. I'm gonna tell you. I, I, I don't agree. You know, you're right. you remember you're actually talking to someone who's had to learn how to walk twice. So that is this that is, is true. That, that yeah. is true. But Wes, I was thinking because you know, with having such a young child, that's ten years of life gone versus five. That's true, but he'll be out of diapers by the time I'm back. Nice. <laughs> you know, like all that surgery stuff will be done. Like you know, his mom will still be beautiful. I mean, it, it's it's. You know, I mean, cars could be flying in ten years. Like, they didn't dispute all the- me. I thought I had a good case for you. Never mind. But, but I will. But I will say, I will say, I do love to read. And if they let you read in jail, then I'd be like, well, that's not so bad. You know, you just give me books. I'm all right. All right, Wes. Anything you want to plug or promote before you get out of here? Ah, man. I think everyone knows I'm that jackass on Twitter. But Wes Rucker, 24/7 on Twitter. More importantly, GoVols247.com, where we do all of our work. Um, I don't know. Uh, who there's a lot of good people who cover Tennessee athletics. And I mean that a lot of good people and and a lot of really, really talented people. And and there's a lot of places you can go to get your Tennessee news. But when you talk about the entire athletic department, everything they do, I, I I swear no one covers them the way that we do. Uh, We cover women's sports seriously uh, with Maria, who's an award winner, one of the best in the biz. Uh, we, we cover, uh, obviously, football every day, recruiting every day, basketball every day, basketball recruiting all the time. Baseball is pretty much a year-round thing now, too. We cover all of it all the time, and we do it seriously, and uh, we have fun, too. Well, Wes, man, we wish you a good night, man. We appreciate everything, and if there's anything we can do for you along the way, please don't hesitate to reach out to us, man. Well, you got the info now, so anytime you need anything, just holler. Absolutely. That's Wes Rucker, everybody. If you like hearing Wes's story or you just like hearing us average Joe's talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook, retweet us on Twitter, listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, comments, ratings, and feedback is always welcome. You know we'll be back next week. We got episode 24 coming at you, and we're flipping the script a little bit. We've had all the UT baseball players on this show. 
but we're going to get their mom's perspective. That's right. We're bringing on the UT baseball players, some of the moms to talk to us about the season, what it's like with their boys growing up and what it's like, you know, taking care of them now. But this has been the End Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong body, sharp minds, great and grind all the time. We out.